Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, David Brothers, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. And yet again, I read my own name in the list of people who are on this podcast instead of saying, like, hey, I'm David. <laughs> but I'm David. <laughs> I'm hosting Hi, David. this week. <laughs> One day I'll get my act together. This week is the final part of our witch trilogy. We started with Witch Hat Atelier, we moved on to Witches, and now we're at Witchcraft Works. See, the titles have gotten bigger and smaller than bigger again. It's all very, very mm. intentional. This is a manga by Ryu Mizunagi. It's published by Kodansha. And we're discussing volume one today, which was translated by Ko Ransom and production credit, which I believe includes lettering and layout by Risa Cho and Melissa De Jesus. I've got like several different pitches for this, but I should probably just read the back of box copy for Witchcraft Works to see how the <laughs> publisher would like us to describe mm-hmm. it. Honoka Takamiya is an average student. Ayaka Kagari, his classmate who sits next to him in class, on the other hand, is the class princess. Ayaka is tall, strikingly gorgeous, and has a regalness to her that almost exudes a royal attitude. Despite their proximity in school, over the school year, the two have never shared much conversation. Until today. Yada yada yada, Takamiya is attacked by a cat-eared witch and costume thugs. And then, surprise, the princess is actually a witch herself. So, I originally pitched this as kind of an Another flip on the damsel in distress idea, and that in this case, the damsel is a young high school boy, and the prince or princess is the one rescuing him from the distress and causing him no end of distress. (laughs) And I thought Witchcraft Works would be fun because it's a series that starts out with like this really kind of like really mysterious plot and, you know, this really kind of fully realized world and quickly kind of realizes that all the fun is in the weird witches and magic and fun drawings. So I thought I'd bring it to the manga explaining gang and we could read it, talk about it, see who liked it and see who did not. I think since I always start with Christopher this week, I am. You're going to start with Christopher again. <laughs> I'm going to start with death. Let's get death's take on witchcraft works volume one. <laughs> Why ruin a good thing? Well, Let's start with Christopher. Let's keep going. <laughs> Set the tone. No, Deb, I'm so happy you get to go first. Deb, I can't wait to hear what you think of Witchcraft Works. Well, yeah, it's, this was kind of like a manga blind date for me in that I went into it completely blind. Mm. Um, I had never read oh. it before. Um, I had a vague idea that it was about a a doofus who gets rescued a lot by this really pretty, pretty and strong girl who's a witch. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, it's going to be like t- Tuxedo Moon and Sailor Moon, you know, <laughs> where it's like, you know, the the guy is, you know, like he thinks he's all that, but actually he's constantly being rescued. Or I thought, oh, maybe it's going to be like, oh, my goddess, where it's like there's a guy who's inexplicably irresistible to other girls who are way more powerful than him. Mm-hmm. But somehow this turned out to be something slightly different, slightly more, I don't know, like unexpected and quirky. Yeah. Quirky is a good word for it. I didn't go read through the rest of it, but there were moments when I genuinely laughed out loud when I turned the page. Like there was this part where it says, I'm going all out. Like prepare to meet my full battalion. Like you turn the page and it's just this page of bunny warriors, like wall to wall bunny (laughs) warriors. So that one, I admit, I completely busted out laughing, even though I still don't exactly know why she's Mm -hmm. protecting him. (laughs) 
And then there was like these weird innuendos, like like you're for most of the first volume, you're like, wait, what is going on with this? In that she feels compelled to protect him. Uh, you never quite find out. But then they say, oh, why? And why is everyone after him, right? And then there's this part on one eleven when the rival witches say, we just we just want your body. We want your white stuff. That was that was <laughs> my favorite part. <laughs> Oh and I just God. busted out laughing, and I, you know, read through the NR, and I still don't know what that white stuff is. And then they were like, and the other witch, you're like, he's going to get the wrong idea. You don't say he's going to get the wrong idea. <laughs> so I don't know where this is going, but it was, it was, it, it was delightfully funny <laughs> yeah. in some yeah. unexpected ways. The humor definitely, like the all the witch designs are so singular. Like there's the rabbit witch, like there's robots. I don't know. Like it makes me laugh just to look at sometimes. There's such <laughs> detail in the art for all these dumb jokes. Uh-huh. But Christopher, number two, what did you think? <laughs> I'm conflicted about this one, but I'm actually, I started out conflicted about this one and now I'm not. I think it's a good example of what it is and it's just not for me. And I haven't listened to the early podcasts in a while, but I remember for a while, like we're kind of worrying my sense of humor was broken pandemic and everything. <laughs> and I kind of had that feeling again this week. Like I could tell that this was, I mean, this was funny. This was supposed to be funny, mm-hmm. but man, it just wasn't landing. And then it was like, Oh, it's just because you've, you've already read this kind of story a bunch of times before the harem. This is a harem manga basically where this like total doofus somehow gets surrounded by infinite <laughs> variations of hot ladies <laughs> And just keeps bumbling his way through. Like, this is the kind of manga that you've been reading. Maybe this was your first manga. If you, if Ranma is my first manga and Lum was one of my first anime. So you've just been reading this story, this kind of story for a really long time. And you're not the person you were when you started reading it. And as soon as I made that realization, it was like, okay, well, let's just try and instead of engaging it in like a put your thinking cap on and like deal with this manga, <laughs> just like engage it on its merits, engage it like where it is, try and move yourself to that place. And it's totally fine. I actually think it's a pretty good example of what it's trying to do of like keeping like tantalizingly revealing a few things, you know, keeping a few things hidden, making you want to keep reading. I appreciate it on a commercial level, which is, mm-hmm. it sounds like this all sounds like damning with praise <laughs> in my head as I say it, but it's like, no, for real. Like this is a book that is like, it's very much trying to have its cake and eat it too. But you know, I, I, by the time I got to the end of the book, I understand exactly what I was trying to do. I think it was doing what it was trying to do pretty darn well. And I don't know that I want to read another volume of it, but I think I don't think it was time that was wasted reading this yeah. one. I thought I thought it was like there was some pretty good stuff there. But anytime I did put my like critical thinking hat on, I really was just like, and then he did this, and then he did this, and you're talking about the author and like the choices he's making, and it's not working for me in particular. So it was a little bit of a tough one, but overall, I think it's a really interesting work, and I like the honesty of the work and also the honesty that the author brings to the table in the notes at the back as well, where he's just like... Yeah, everyone keeps asking me. You keep drawing all these very big ladies. Is that something you're into? Like a big lady and a small <laughs> dude being dominated? And that really wasn't my idea when I was making the book, but I'm not going to deny that I'm into it. And that it was like, that was the note. And you're just like, 
There's a there's a delightful honesty there that I appreciate as someone who does not mind a smutty read or two. Like, oh, yeah. this is the lady Dimitrescu of like six years ago. That's great. I'm super down with that. I get it. You want a big lady to smack people around a little bit and be really intimidating, you know, put it on the page. I think that's fine. So yeah, I thought it was thought it was what it was in the truest sense of that word. Which in the true sense of the phrase, sorry. <laughs> it, it it was it is i guess it's literature so it is what it is yeah rather than it was what it was but the experience of it was just yeah i'm just not that person anymore and i don't have the same attachment as when we read like an old rumiko takahashi book like like mermaid saga or mermaid scar mm-hmm. that headspace that you get back into of like enjoying and discovering takahashi sensei's work for the first time totally was a trigger for me in mermaid saga and i loved that but this i mean I'm gay. Like I don't care about any of this. Like, I just don't care. Like oh, a lady with big boobs is like right there, you know, holding you the whole time. It's a little close. <laughs> like, yeah, anyway, I don't know. But if it was a dude with big boobs, uh, if it was a Jiraiya dude, I'd be like, oh, I get it. And that's not to say I don't get it. It's just not for me. Why? That's, that's why can't you make an effort to understand heterosexual culture, Chris? I keep saying this. <laughs> it's the air that I breathe. <laughs> the air that I breathe. I feel like you could do this with a guy with big boobs and have the exact same story. Like you wouldn't need yeah. to change mm. anything at all. <laughs> I don't know. Was it Seven Seas? Deb, you would absolutely know this. There was a book with like three big buff dudes that were magical girls that were wearing magical oh, girl outfits, but had like the huge magical girl ore. What magical girl Ore. Yeah, I read that. That that was like that killed me reading that actually. I was reading and I was just flipping through and I was like, I had to put it down because I was laughing in a store and then I was super embarrassed and I was like, Oh my god, people are looking at me read manga, I have to go. Yeah, so like I think if it was like a dude which book I'd probably be super there. <laughs> you should go watch the anime, by the way, Chris. You I think you'd really enjoy it. I appreciate oh, the man. recommendation. Thank you. There's a manual, and I'll, and I'll shoot it to you because it's a smutty one. But mm. the Demon King has such pecs, they are boob-like. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> and they talk about, wow, you know, it's so big, you can actually, you know, squeeze them together and put the what's about something in between it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whoa. Put it in the show notes, right. Chris. Yeah. Show notes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. What did you think of Witchcraft Works? Good luck following any of that, by the way. <laughs> I agree with everything David said. Oh wait, David hasn't gone yet. <laughs> oh no, I'm screwed. <laughs> do, you, do you even read these books every week? Or are you just like, going along with what David with said. David, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I I liked it, but a very low level. Like I think this felt like maybe the slightest lightest read that we've done in a long time. Like there wasn't a lot for me to kind of grab yeah, onto yeah. here. And and it's funny. I had to make a, I had to make a switch in my head about halfway through, between it being bad, or funny, because some of the, some of the, <laughs> some of the some of the writing, some of the translation just just was like just so clunky. I'm like, is it clunky on purpose or is it? Uh, there there's one there's one scene that I've got here where I forget which fight it is, but he turns around basically saying, "Oh, someone's calling to me. Who is that?" Maybe Kagari's friend? Yeah, she must be. I'll let you take care of this, Kagari. Like, that's his inner monologue, which is one of the <laughs> stupidest inner monologues I've ever read. <laughs> and I remember, yeah. I remember reading it just being like, oh my god, like, just, this is, this is not good. But then I'm like, oh, but 
maybe that's really funny. Like, it's just funny how stupid he is to just have those thoughts <laughs> yeah. in the middle of a fight and go, oh, that that must be the friend of the person protecting me who said to not leave my side. <laughs> the mysterious character waving from around the corner of a building. <laughs> so once, once I made that click, I was like, oh, okay, now I'm, now I'm into this. Obviously, the white stuff is my favorite part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, hey, look, I, I love, <laughs> I love large women taking me into their arms and protecting me. It's, I've got, there's a clear, there's a clear line from my childhood to now based on that. So on, on that level, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't care for either of the characters really. I don't know if you're really supposed to. <laughs> like, there's just nothing there to really. They're kind of sketches at this point. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing there to really kind of latch onto. And also just like some, just some weird stuff. Like at one point he, he thinks like, I can't ever tell if she's serious or if she's joking. But up to, up mm. to that point, she hadn't made a single joke. Like she was very deadly serious. <laughs> and then like a chapter later, she made a joke and you're like, oh, okay. Now there's some personality coming through in the character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was fine. It was fun. It was. It, it's an example too in the drawings of somebody who's like almost there with the drawings and maybe it could stand to stand away from the drawing. I say drawing board, but like computer clearly <laughs> to actually look at the page and being like, Oh, is this working as a, as a unit? Cause there's a lot of details in a lot of these panels, but I don't think most of it actually helps it. And the things that are not good really jump out. It's funny, I'm still just looking at the page where, you know, he, he looks at the other witch around the corner and he goes to run toward them. And like, there's just like a panel. I wish I had the page number. Looks like page 34. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. just like, there's just the panel of, of his feet running and it's a very bad drawing. <laughs> like, it's just not how feet work. Uh, <laughs> And there's, there's, there's always, there's instances throughout yeah. of that. And I'm like, oh, like if you actually like weren't so focused on like putting in all the details here and there and actually just stood back and focus on the actual, the, the drawing itself, that part might be a little bit better. I mean, overall it's, it's in the, the kind of the higher end of a lot of the stuff we've read in terms of the art, but yeah, but. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. To yeah. Hear. I mean, most of the art just didn't quite hit for me but I'm probably looking for something different from this than much like Chris. I'm looking for something different than what it's, it's trying to give me, which is, you know, lots of fights and action and things exploding and being pressed against beautiful boobs. Oh, that part, uh, that part I'm into, but, but with, (laughs) but but with the drawings, it's like, yeah, or once in a while there's a drawing. I'm like, Oh, that's a good drawing, but it's usually balanced out by the ones that I don't find that good. Hmm. I have so much to go on now as a host. <laughs> and I love the two of you to use fine to describe it. I feel like that's actually like kind of appropriate for where it lands. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, we read a lot of important manga on manga explaining, kind of like building a canon. But like I love the midlist. Like it's so entertaining. <laughs> like sometimes you just need a book that's about a tall witch and her useless, you know, boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> but so how I feel about this one, <laughs> Chip mentioned that I hadn't said yet, and I agree with Chip wholeheartedly. Yes. No, I <laughs> I forget if I found the anime or the manga for this first, but 
whichever one, I was like, oh, this is like a cool idea and I'm, I want to see where it goes. And it took a little bit for it to kind of sink in as a comedy versus a drama for me. Mm. Because the first volume is so dramatic compared to the later volumes. Like, I swear there's just one volume that's all hijinks. Like, all of the supporting cast member witches you see move into the main mm-hmm. character's house. <laughs> they get to very Seinfeld very quickly. And so Chris's point about it being a harem comedy is kind of on point. But only two people like the main character. So it feels sort of like not even full harem. Like, they didn't go all the way. <laughs> But they all want the main character. Even if they don't like him, they're all after him, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. true. That's what struck his me white like stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they all want his white whatever, whatever that is, that is what they would like. It's magical power. Dryer lint. <laughs> Dev's roommates right now are like, what is she about? <laughs> They are puzzled looking at Jillian. Yeah. Because... <laughs> Right now, they're only hearing what I'm saying because they're not hearing what you're saying because I have the headphones on. So mm. I'm sure the non sequiturs are just out of this world. We're going to have to find some amazing <laughs> questions to ask you to really throw them off. <laughs> but the <laughs> visuals are what kind of caught me, like kept me reading, kept me checking it out because like the witch design, like the big hat and the school uniform is kind of like it looks good. Yeah. And in a way, I'm not sure I could say beyond it looks good. Like, it's just like a very clean design. Like, it fits the world. Also, can I just uh, add that the witch holding the two handguns, I'm just like, oh, that is something I never thought I'd see. And it's a a very, very strong visual. Yeah, absolutely. And they're all different kinds of witches, which is another thing that kind of makes it both funny and also enable some cool drawings. The spread of all the the rabbit battalion is like the least of what this artist gets up to over the course of the series. <laughs> but there's one aspect that I'm curious about. So the creator of this series is a lady, Ryumi Zanagi. I think she works under a pseudonym or something like that. And it looks like a fan service manga, but it doesn't really have all of like the gross sweatiness I would associate with most fan service manga. Yeah. Like, did it feel like a book that was more, like about TNA for you all? Well, the, 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 I got to say, as someone who owns a pair, <laughs> those, those boobs look like missiles. Like, they're, they are rock-solid concrete. They're, they're just not sexy looking to me. They just look like, they look hard. <laughs> yeah, protuberances. <for> <laughs> they look hard and solid, and it's not like, wow, like, like he would, like, break his nose if he, like, got his face shoved in him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but that, maybe that's just me. Well, that's that's what I like. No, I so I agree with you. <laughs> oh well, okay. Like I feel like she's like, you a, know, a like sexy Red Hood. drawing, but yeah, uh, the DC Comics character. No, no, the Red Hood in Shonen Jump. Oh, <laughs> the Hunter's no. Guild. <laughs> no, I'm I was not thinking familiar. of the Joker from the Brian Boland with just that like pill capsule top and it's like yeah that could be a very hard looking boot <laughs> show notes are going to be very weird uh very weird but yeah what was the red hood connection deb oh just the boobs like oh. <laughs> like like it's so weird because it's like it's supposed to be sexy but to me it just looks like i don't know like like armor <laughs> hmm. and the way that he draws these characters right like like for example the ayaka and honoka like there's that mm-hmm. scene where he says, "Because you're my princess," like she, they're staring at each other. They have such same face syndrome. They could be brother and sister. Yeah. 
So that confused me a little bit, frankly. I see, I see. Yeah. It was so much so that I actually thought that might be a weird reveal later on. Mm. Uh, I will say you meet his sister, I think in volume two, actually. And she's also crazy about him. It's one of those kind of deals. Ew. Yeah. But (laughs) Honoka and Ayaka are secretly childhood friends. His memory was erased and a bunch of stuff happened related to the white stuff. Mm -hmm. The white stuff. So that's why they're they're very close. (laughs) What was your favorite joke, Deb? Oh, let's see. I mean, the the bunny one, yes, definitely. I laughed. You turn the page and then there's this this, two-page spread of just angry-looking bunnies. Yeah. That was kind of great. The other one was, let's see. Mm, it's kind of weird because like, you know, like with Lum, right? Like the, the there's the ice witch and then there's, you know, this witch and that witch. And it's, it's very clear the characters mm-hmm. and their personalities are so different. With this one, I feel like with this first volume, I'm not getting that sense of like having these witches having distinct personalities and, you know, like having friction with each other it's Mm -hmm. and it's like i think what chip was saying was that you know it's hard for me to feel invested in either character Mm. you know like if whether they have a crush on each other or they have a relationship that is going to unfold like she always looks pretty dead-faced most of the time yeah yeah but that's like her character Mm -hmm. type right like she's supposed Uh, to be the one that doesn't show emotion which is like yeah it doesn't you don't feel anything from her and you're totally right. But also I think the people who are into this kind of thing need that to be her character. You know what I mean? Like that whole like girl that doesn't show emotion, but secretly has rich inner life is like such a shonen insane and trope. You know what I mean? Like she's a type just like a tsundere who's just like aggressively mean to people as a type and whatever and whatever. And like, again, you're right from a storytelling perspective. I don't think it, works because you're not invested in what's going unless you legitimately just care about the mystery as it's presented no I yeah read i totally volumes and like the mystery is fine <laughs> how many volumes is this 15 and you've read all 15 oh my god yeah wow. the jokes get good <laughs> and the drawings get even better okay it's pretty, oh, do they? pretty okay. crazy yeah but no i think i see where chris is coming from and also there's the aspect of like people who are into this would be really into it like the tall lady thing so oh. you kind of don't necessarily need like the way she is now, she's more universal. You can read things into her that may not be there if she was more better defined. And that changes over the course of the series. But she's definitely kind of blank in this. She's violent and she likes the main guy. And that's about it. Interesting. Christopher, we didn't get your take on the fan service and how you kind of felt about that. Like I said, it just slipped like water off a duck's back. Like it's yeah. all there. I don't think it. I don't think it adds to the story, but I actually don't think there's a story. <laughs> I think it's about fan service. Yeah. This is a good time manga. This is this is my actual point. This is yeah. a book where it's like we are taking I usually more efficient manga get the whole first volume of Witchcraft Works out of the way in the sample chapter now. <laughs> and then it's just, you know, you set up the status quo and then you just let it run until it becomes unprofitable and then you stop it. Mm-hmm. And the thing that gave me pause is that you recommended it actually because you like it i'm like there's something here david likes good stuff there's something here i don't know that it's necessarily as in the first volume and that's kind of what i'm getting from what you're saying as well Mm -hmm. as it is in later volumes but it's like yeah there's no 
real characterization and the lead the lead dude has to be so stupid as to almost be unbelievable like unbelievably dumb for anything to happen like for any of it's sorry yeah, if you're trying to write it. a serious story it's bad and chip back me up here it's bad writing if you have to have the lead character be so dumb that the plot has to move forward around them like oh this is the someone is beckoning me i guess i'll go around a corner out of sight from the person who's currently saving my life because this is what i'm supposed to do right now like that's dumb but if it's not about that then it doesn't matter so it's just about are the boobs very attractively drawn and it's like not for deb but i think that they're fine <laughs> are are the special effects from the fire witch like do they kick ass yes they certainly do those are some kick-ass special effects is her costume cool and the way her costume you know turns from black to white when it's burning away and the other witch designs and character designs and stuff is that cool yeah those are pretty cool and is it just about having fun while well, the last couple panels of the book are about the bad guys all hanging out and doing karaoke in a room together and laughing <laughs> like it's not it's just don't you you can't engage the, you can't engage this volume the way that we engaged like witches or even yeah. which had to tell you it's just not about that as far as i can tell now if you're going to come back and be like actually this is a super important manga to me it's very serious and good like that's a different <laughs> conversation but i don't think that's where you, even you're at based on what i'm hearing no this is like and not to damn it with faint praise like you were saying yeah it's like popcorn shrimp like it's great like i love popcorn yeah, shrimp. yeah. and it's not an everyday meal but, you know it's like <laughs> good to just sit in front of the tv for a while and kill a bag of popcorn yeah. shrimp <laughs> yeah man I, I i get that it's tough My husband's a vegetarian yeah. so yeah no popcorn shrimp for me at home, but it's a special going out meal. <laughs> if you all can see on my screen, there's this is from volume fifteen. Okay, oh, mm. that's good. You can see the same face has not changed much, but her rendering and design, yeah, I feel like get better. Yeah, and this is also like oh, yeah, yeah. it's very slick, whereas it's a little sketchier in yeah. the initial. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. And something I've been finding while doing this podcast is I'll read a volume one of something I know well and be surprised mm. at how the art looks. Because in my head, yeah. you know, it looks like volume 15 from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right? It, it works backwards like that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love it. That happened with Full Metal Alchemist for us, right? And like Yotsuba. Yeah. Well, and it happened so hard with My Hero Academia. I made you go all read that chapter because it's like, <laughs> this isn't what the book looks like anymore. This is interesting. Yeah. But this is what the book looks like now is this chapter 300 chapters later. And it is. It's like a totally different. The art, artists get better as they draw. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Is this her first series? I don't think so. I definitely her first in the U.S. I don't mm. think anything else has been localized. But we can look it up on my anime list and put it in the show notes. I'd, I'd love to see more pages from Volume Fifteen, where it's like a, like a design page, like, like with full layouts. Maybe a two-page spread. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. That's much better. That's really nice. Yeah. That's it's still yeah. it's still a little static though, eh? Yeah, I think there's a stiffness to the art yeah. that's part of the style you know yeah like do you think it's computer assisted it looks computer assisted oh definitely yeah by volume 15 you can absolutely tell yeah and like there's all, all kinds of effects like really straight lines would be the pain in the neck to draw by hand yeah kind of thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it looks good like you know if that kind of uh, approach works and it works like that that looks a lot better than volume one yeah and i had a moment after i recommended volume one where i was like oh man like this isn't good and like volume one is fine, but it rises to such heights past volume one that I think that part of my enjoyment has to be like seeing that gap by kind of growing with the book. Mm -hmm. 
because we talked before about how part of the joy of manga, especially because the series runs so long, is when you get someone who loves drawing, make them draw 2,000 pages, page 2,000 is going to look amazing. Yeah. You know, almost every time. Yeah. Yep. You hope so, but it's interesting because we, we did the MHA comparison. Full Metal Alchemist, obviously, Arakawa just becomes like a genius of drawing. Of drawing. This is definitely much stronger. But you think about artists that have gone for a long time in North American comics, and we tend to feel like their skills degrade. And I'm only going to bring them up because you guys have brought them up once on the last three podcasts, but it's John Byrne. <laughs> you look at John Byrne, and like his work got worse as yeah. he went on. And it's maybe it got more simplified. Maybe it got more comfortable for him to draw. Maybe, I don't think it was his style changing. I think it was just the way he wanted to draw and what he liked, what we put on the page. But I think mm-hmm. of like longtime superhero artists, and I don't mind talking shit about John Byrne. I won't call out anybody else because it's not really fair to do a drive-by <laughs> like this. But you think about a long-term superhero artist, and their art doesn't always necessarily get better. It might not get to your taste, but sometimes people actually get worse. Whereas in manga... I don't see that happening as much. And do you like? What do you think oh, that oh, is? Oh, because I think I this think is like a larger idea. I've got, I've got opinions. I want Chip's answer, Chip and I have one too. Yeah, I bet sure. You my my opinion is a lot of it is uh, ego, and and mm. being built up and thinking that you can do no wrong, and that you no longer need to put in the work that you can uh, just draw instinctually. And I can see that happening more easily with North American kind of self centered perspective. That isn't necessarily about the art as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to drag John Byrne, like it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a guy who's just known for having a massive ego. Like, like oh, I think yeah, he yeah. might even admit it himself. He's surrounded by sycophants who tell him everything he does is great. So even when he like slides and just like, you know, doesn't necessarily put in the work, people are still going to be there to line up to tell him it's great. And and uh, I think for the most part, most kind of of the you know North American superhero Marvel DC kind of artists, if they do get worse, it doesn't usually happen until they're like old, old when when things start to slide. And a lot of that is just like you know just a hand eye stuff and just not like having the 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 brain power to kind of like to to do the job anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I was thinking the pride part, especially because I was going to say that the presence of editors and the pace of manga, Mm. I think it kind of forces you to keep looking at your art. Like if an editor makes you draw a chapter two times, you know, over and over again, that will make you make different choices, maybe make better choices. But I think also with superhero comics, we expect a certain style out of people. While with witchcraft Mm. works, we just want whatever Mizunagi is going to draw, whatever, you know, is on her heart. Yeah. When you talk about Tezuka, for example, right? Like this, mm-hmm. and when we talk about Tayo Matsumoto, like you, you deal, you're dealing with people who are one love to draw and love to experiment with the with the visual storytelling form, as mm-hmm. well as different ways of expressing emotion. So they're not they're not satisfied with drawing it something just one way, right? Right. Or just like staying in this certain groove and just like you know I'm going to draw like this for the rest of my life because this is now I'm really good and fast. I'm really fast. Yeah. So this is 20% less effort, you know, and people mm-hmm. still love it. They don't know the difference. You know, they, I don't have to kill myself to think of a brand new way of telling the story or a really an innovative way of doing paneling. I don't care. I just want to get this, these pages done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no one seems to mind if I put more effort or less effort in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm wondering if that's the case. I mean, that's the difference between people who progress and people who don't or mm-hmm. people who progress and people who degrade. Yeah. 
Hmm. Christopher, what about you? I think Tezuka is a really interesting example because he's someone who, by the time he was getting to that age, had a whole studio that could draw exactly like him. So he was, you know, you still look at those awesome documentaries where he's still like knocking out pages and laying everything out, but they're, they produced a ton of posthumous Tezuka work that looks like Tezuka drew it. Tezuka Productions did because he would had like sketches or drafts or, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of things that are, have been touched up in according with his wishes by artists and in the studio and stuff like there's, it's a really interesting case and it hasn't really been dug into very much in North America because Tezuka Productions obviously wants to present this idea that Tezuka's work is Tezuka's work, right? But really, like, in as much as he's like an iconic figure, he didn't hand animate all of Astro Boy by himself. There were <laughs> no. directors and animators and teams and whatever. And it's the same thing with his comics. And a lot of people were assistants of Tezuka's that look like, you know, that like, they, they draw like Tezuka. So I think that that's an interesting thing there. I think Matsumoto is another interesting one. And this is another thing that hasn't really been super talked about in English at least. But his work really changed when he basically married his partner, Saho. And she's a working visual artist who had her own style. And she became his assistant, but then became his partner, both artistically and not. And so his work changed as they sort of melded their working styles and their personal feelings about how to make art together and grew and changed. And I know there's a lot of people who are like, Ping Pong was like the last good Matsumoto and everything after that was too artsy or too whatever. But that's crazy. Like number five is the most visually exciting Matsumoto book ever from a soup from like a like a cool, exciting pa- like stuff on the page kind of a way. But then you get to like Takamitsu Samurai, where he's all of a sudden drawing in like a brush style and it all looks like it's like almost impressionistic, you know what I mean? Or it's just it's crazy. Yeah. So I, I think that there's people who change as artists and develop and grow and their style isn't what first attracted people to their style. I do think there's people who stay in a style, like stay in their lane very, very solidly, but sort of degrade or get up their own ass to be me about it, to be to be bold about it, let's say. Yeah. But I think in manga, like you can see, oh, there's a really good graphic online. This is my like go-to thought that compares how Oda draws all of the characters in one piece every like hundred chapters, Whoa. basically, oh, yeah. to show how much they've changed over time but they're still completely recognizable as the cast of One Piece. And we'll throw that image in the show notes. And it's like, we would look at that and go, he's getting better. But if you if you were really in love with like chapter 20 Ichiro Oda like art style, you think he's getting so far away from the thing that I loved about his work, <laughs> which was like the closeness to Tezuka and whatever and whatever. So I think it's there's a taste thing there for sure, but no one's going to look at Witchcraft Works Volume 1 and then that double page spread you held up at Volume 15 and go, Man, this artist really let themselves go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just a different thing. I was gonna yeah. I was gonna mention another thing about the studio aspect and the assistance in Japanese comics, mm. which is mm-hmm. that I think that forces those artists to constantly check themselves. Like you can't really let it yeah. slide when you have to tell others how to do the job. Like like Tom Tom Brevoort at Marvel, he's like the top editor there i think every year or every six months or whatever he he delivers like kind of uh, a how to edit marvel books speech to all the new editors and interns who come in and i know he he adds to it every year and i, I think a lot of it is actually online he, he's posted some youtube videos of it and that's great because he's imparting a lot of his knowledge but also i think it also helps 
rebalance him. Because when you actually have to say the rules out loud and impart those on others, it makes you have them at top of mind for yourself and your job. So I think with artists as well, when you're mm. like, when you know, when the, when the main artist is like kind of showing somebody how to draw and how to like structure a page and how to draw anatomy and, and correcting their mistakes and perspective, like that keeps them super sharp, I think. Whereas North American mm-hmm. artists are just kind of on their own. So when they like start to flub stuff, like no one's there to be like, oh, you're messing that up. And and most of the editors just aren't trained in art to be able to to know how to fix those things. They might just see that it's wrong, but they they won't be able to give any kind of feedback on it. And there's definitely like little ways that editing differs between Japan and the US. And I think you're on target. Brevoort especially knows a lot about editing yeah. comics. He's a really interesting guy to listen to. Yeah. Hmm. Something that's kind of related to the point about pride and kind of working and getting better or maybe getting worse, I think, is self-indulgence, which I haven't come Mm. up with like a a positive way to say this yet, but I love self-indulgent comics, (laughs) whether it's someone who loves drawing or like they just get in love with a certain character and can't stop writing about them. Like Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon, Homecoming? No. The one shot about Kit from Yeah. It was just about her and her family one night. Yeah. It feels yeah, super self-indulgent, and it's incredible. Yeah, And I think Witchcraft Works tipped over into that for me as soon as I read the afterword. And she's like, I don't dislike tall women, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then two pages later, there's all the footnotes, which continues into each volume, where she explains things that happened in the story that weren't worthy of being drawn. And it's all trivia. It's all, like useless in a, a very appreciative sense like it's just nonsense but it's funny nonsense like it kind of builds the world yeah, yeah there was some good world building in the in those backup notes i thought where she was yeah. talking about like how illusory magic works that's kind of yeah. cool and chip did you read the backup material in this one i skimmed it i can't say that i i <laughs> yeah. call it I, I can't say that i read it read it love it yeah no it's i'm curious about that because like, I love stuff like this where someone's like, no, here's exactly what I'm doing. And it's like Kaoru Mori drawing butts, you know, where she's just very intense about yeah. it. Yeah. We can put that in the show notes, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think the self-indulgence makes you push yourself as well. Like, you can't just draw the same cool drawing of Batman over and over and over and over. Like, you need to do, you know, add some angles, add some texture, add something. And I think books like Witchcraft Works or One Piece or Taiyo Matsumoto's, you know, career demonstrate what happens when you keep drawing exactly what you want, but more exciting each time. Hopefully, Mm. anyway. I will say, I've been thinking about this for a while in the context of the, uh, I thought about it when we got to Raw Hero, actually, so another another good David (laughs) pick. But Bill Jemis, I didn't ever have any interpersonal experience with that dude. But he had such a First of all, explain to the audience who Bill Jemis is. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know, so please explain for me. (laughs) <laughs> so Joe Quesada had a really successful run on a bunch of titles that he sort of edited and sort of put together the creative teams for on Marvel in the sort of bankruptcy days and then as they were coming out of bankruptcy and they were like the, the, the heads of the company were like great you're in charge of the whole company now because whatever the rest of the company's doing is not working but what you're doing is working make all of Marvel like your your Marvel Knights line your Daredevil book and your other books go for it and he was like, okay. And so Joe Quesada was like, then the president of Marvel based on the strength of Daredevil. Uh, <laughs> Chip, eyes up. Can you even imagine? 
<laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Uh, I, I actually totally can. It would be an amazing six months. And he was partnered with a guy named Bill Jemis, who was like a like a suit, like a VP up or whatever. And he was in, and Quesada was the the editor in chief of the line. And Jemis didn't give a shit about any of this comic stuff that we all really care a lot about. He did not care. He just came and he was like, "Are you serious about this?" He was kind of Dan DeDoe, like proto Dan DeDoe in a way. Yeah. But the best thing he did was when they launched Electra. It was Greg Land doing covers, like digitally painted, like overpainted uh, from porn. Oh, sorry, Greg Horn. You're right. You're yeah. right. Greg Horn doing painted covers and interiors was like, what? We all know that Marvel needs to publish date books every once in a while for guys who can't get dates. This is their date for Friday night. They're going to get a copy of Electra. They're going to enjoy it. And then they're going to maybe buy another one because they ruined the first one. And it was just <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> Bill Jemis. Bad girls uh, for, for good guys or something like that. Was this oh, bad girls man. for good guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, I, <laughs> but but this is a date book like this is yeah. this first volume witchcraft works this is a date book in exactly that way and it might turn into something else and it might be really funny and whatever and whatever but like we all have to be pretty honest we're manga commentators you can look <laughs> at a manga and go i know who that one's for i know exactly yeah, who yeah. that one is for <laughs> they are they are not dating people sorry and <laughs> We all read, we also all really read widely. Mm. Like, I think we've proven that with the show. I mean, there's no consistency from week <laughs> to week what we're reading or what we decide to censor. This was three very different books about witches. One is very dark. Yeah. And it's, it's to me, it's, it, that's what this is. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing mm. wrong with making a kind of book or kind of manga for every kind of reader and someone who wants to project themselves into a fantasy where like actually they're the you know secret key to the end of the world and blah 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 and they're gonna be protected by like a super strong super tall super hot super powerful lady great that book needs to exist the problem is light novels tend to have a lot of those kind of books and these kind of there's these kind of books kind of multiplex they sell well so we iterate and we iterate and we iterate mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with superheroes it's the same thing with you know, YA fiction, where all of a sudden it was like 500 different series about the apocalypse after Hunger Games got good. We just iterate on things that are successful because capitalism, but it doesn't mean that the books shouldn't exist. And it doesn't mean that the books can't be successful on their own merits. And maybe that's what I was trying to get to in like my first reaction. And I don't know that I explained it well, but I think this is it. This is what I actually mean is like, yeah, man, like, and this could turn into something else. And this could be, and I thought Raw Hero was that, but it's so, <laughs> that first volume is so subversive in so many different ways that it was like, oh, there's something else here. For sure, there's something else here. And when he, she pulls him close and says, you're my princess, and it's that beautiful full-page spread looking directly into each other's eyes, I was like, there's something else here. This is pretty queer, like, and this is pretty interesting and good. And he's, she, sorry, the, the author, uh, who I keep forgetting as a lady because this <laughs> book is very horny, is like, I'm going to put something else into this. I'm going to put some more thought and some more character and whatever. Reading in the backup material that the protagonist, Kuhonaka, uh, Kuhonaka. it's Kuhonaka, a female name, yeah, was supposed to be a girl originally. And they're like, ah, oh, we don't want it to make it a Yuri book. So make him, make him a dude so that they can like have a regular hetero romance. And it's like, fine, but he's still going to be a princess. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> cool. Like, I, I, there's something else here is what I'm trying to say. But at its core, you got to engage, you just got to engage in on its merits. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with any of it. 
is is like where I'm at with it. And there's lots of stuff where I feel like is gross or like the way it treats women is gross. And I don't really get a sense of that here at, at all, actually. So I thought that that was like, even though it was horny, it wasn't like gross horny. And that's nice too. And yeah. when it, and if a book is super gross horny, like Raw Hero, if it owns it, that's good too. Like it's <laughs> super gross and it really owns it and really wants to make you feel a way about every panel on every page of every, of like every volume of that book. And that's like, yeah, I didn't want to come into this and just be negative because I started off, I think, where Chip was. And it, when he yeah. said, I just had to flip a switch in my brain that said, is this bad or funny? Yeah, 100%. But for me, it's I have all this experience with all these kinds of books before. So for me, you flip that switch and you're like, oh, okay. Like, okay. David, yeah, David. All right. Here we go. So yeah. So that's where... That's the grand theory of, of this as like relates it. to Bill Jemis. I'm so sorry. I feel like this whole podcast has just been Chris going on and on that it's okay this book exists. <laughs> no, that was just the last five minutes. Oh, okay, sure, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> but your point about Bill Jemis is weirdly a good segue to my final thought, oh. which mm. is like I love date books, like exploitation movies, date books, comics, whatever. I'm into it. Yeah. But because I've read so many like you have, and because like I'm trying to be a better human being, there's a lot of really gross stuff in books like these. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a moment early in Witchcraft Works, I guess halfway through the first volume on page 84, just after Deb's bunny battalion scene, where Mayaka's been like stabbed through various body parts with knives. And like in other books, that would be like a weird, sexy, bloody moment. And in this yeah. one, I was like, ah, I don't know if it keeps going down this route, it's not gonna be my bag. But it turns so far away from that kind of thing from that moment yeah. on that it kind of clicked in my head. Like it's pretty much slapstick from here on out, that bit aside. And that kind of goofy humor and combined with the sex appeal sort of works for me. And it doesn't like tip over into too much sex appeal where, you know, there's nothing there to latch onto other than, mm. you know, bosoms. Yeah. Mm. So uh, witchcraft works. It's good to perfectly fine, depending on how you feel about <laughs> <making some> jokes. <laughs> Deb, what's your final thought? I think I think I agree with Chris in that I didn't feel compelled to read on based mm. on this first volume. There are but I will give credit to a manga that has had at least two moments where I turned the page and I guffawed. <laughs> you know? Like it goes what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> So okay, that's there's something cool about that. I mean, and also mm, I don't know, sometimes I think the art is kind of cluttered a little bit. So yeah. it's hard for me to follow the story or follow the characters. So that in a, in some ways it was a challenging read. So maybe that's why sometimes the, you know, it's like it was hard for me to appreciate what was happening because the mood would shift quite a bit, right? Like it would yeah. be like, oh, you know, the school is being demolished. And then all of a sudden, then there's these cute bunnies. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like you're just kind of like whiplashing, like, wait, is this a serious fantasy kind of thing or is this kind of a stupid fantasy thing but it's never quite super stupid and it's never quite very serious it's kind of somewhere in between and maybe there's space for something that's kind of in between yeah so like if chris says like this is not my thing because i'm gay it's like well maybe this is not my thing because i don't think women with concrete boobs are sexy but <laughs> open your mind or for the rest of us yeah <laughs> wow i love it you know, when you mentioned like, oh, you know, that the Honoka was originally a, a girl, I think, no, I don't think it wouldn't be as funny, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> if it was a girl character, you know? 
So I think this is an interesting work that if you you can read it and go continue on and see how it evolves, and you mm-hmm. can do like I do, which is like, there's got to be something here that made David love this. I have to keep reading until I find out what it is. <laughs> the last episode of Manga Explaining will be recommending something terrible that I don't even like just to make you all figure it out. <laughs> oh, man. Awesome. Christopher, do you have a final thought? Not Bill Jimmis related? Not Bill Jimmis related. Very quick one. We actually read this yeah. in very close proximity to Mars Volume 1 by uh, Fuyumi Soryo. Mm-hmm. And reading Mars Volume 1 actually made me reconsider parts of this in that the the school setting, that like high school setting, is such a like template for so many different kinds of manga. And it's the same basic template of like conflict between two different kinds of people in different social classes, bullying, whatever, is like really intrinsic to both Mars and to this book, except they take them in wildly different directions, which I thought was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mars obviously goes in a more serious, like bullying, sexual assault kind of a way. And this goes in a much less serious giant bunny men attack, but still murder and, <laughs> you know, some weird, sexy implications to all of that cat eared witch girls and things. So I think that that is interesting. And I would love, would love to get maybe Chip's feedback on that at some point. Cause as we read more and more teenage books, like we read, uh, what was the sort of, not quite yaoi that we read a little while ago that was like the two boys that were maybe going to be in love but maybe not oh yeah the, the weird Deb, the threesome me the love triangle one yeah the two boys um and it's like everyone thinks we're dating so we may as well With the eraser now. um oh, eraser yeah. aoki that was a good one. we read too much yeah. too much manga <laughs> right yeah i can't even remember and deb looks so puzzled right now it's kind i can't of- remember which one is this one i think it was one of your picks my love mix-up there we go. Oh, there that go. one. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. I was trying to think, wait, uh, which boy's love is this one? <laughs> not quite, yeah. So it's like... Not quite, yeah. Yeah, there's just that template for high school manga that everyone who grew up reading manga intrinsically understands and can take in a different direction. And this took it in a really different direction. And I feel like Volume 2 and Volume 3 are going to bring it back and make it like a really goofy high school manga, but somehow that's about witches in the end of the world. So thought it was a really interesting read. And even if this isn't necessarily your kind of thing, I think you'd get something out of it if you are like a slice of life manga reader or even a shoujo manga reader. So that's that's kind of my last thought on it. There's, there's a lot here that's weird and interesting. Nice. We, brought, we raise it up from fine to weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shit. That's a Close rather weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to give too much else in terms of final thoughts, but I'd be remiss if I didn't point out one of my other favorite jokes in this, which was early on, page 12. Yeah where the girl says, Obama, deal with him. And some guy just goes, yes, we can. And he beats him up. I mean, that felt like it came out of nowhere. And I kind of wish the humor in the, the book kind of kept going like that, which is such a weirdness. That's such a weird thing. And I, I also wonder, I'm like, yeah, like, how did that, was that in the original text and translated? Like, how does I totally missed that joke? That is amazing. Oh my god, <laughs> it's a good joke. Even in like it's the Japanese joke. fixed with Roman text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, very funny. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so that was Witchcraft Works by Ryu Mizunagi. We're going to take a break to I don't know, cool down after this extremely hot manga. And we will see you after a little bit of music and something else. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Manga Must Reads, brought to you by Comixology. With Comixology Unlimited, you can get access to over 6,000 volumes of manga, including new, classic, and undiscovered gems that you can read online anytime, including the manga that we'll be discussing today. And that manga is You're My Pet by Yayoi Ogawa. Uh, it's published by Kodansha. It was actually first published in English by Tokyo Pop under the title Tramps Like Us, and I have not been able to get that title out of my head. It had a more let's say, liberal localization and translation, borrowing a lyric from the boss, but it kind of works. I kind of get it. So this is a series that sat on its shelf in the Beguiling, where I worked for many years, as a as a Jose title that I knew I wanted to read one day and then just never managed it to. So when we started doing the manga must-reads, I was like, oh, I've always wanted to read that, actually. It looks like they license rescued it. It's digital only. I think that it's been cool that Kodansha has been partnering with Comicsology Unlimited to do some license rescues of titles like Drops of God, which we're going to cover in a little bit, Initial D, things like that. Viz has been doing that with a lot of series that were Tokyo Pop licenses that you can now get on the Viz app. There's just lots of cool stuff coming back. And so if you're ever at a loss or what to read next, you don't always have to look forwards. Sometimes you can look back. Wow. Tramps Like Us, a.k.a. <laughs> you're My Pet, is... I don't have a back of book to read on this one. I'm just going to say it's about a lady who wants to have it all. It is a Jose manga, and in wanting to have it all, she decides to push the boundaries of what is acceptable to her and to other people in her life. And it's really fascinating, I think. Like, I actually have so many thoughts on how this ties into other Jose manga that we've read already, but I think I want to turn it over to someone else first. So, Chip, you've actually loved every Jose manga that we've we've recommended on the podcast, even if you didn't love every aspect of every manga. I want to get your take on You're My Pet, because it's it seems like a bit of a different kettle of fish. Yeah, it's funny. When I started reading it, I was like, oh, this is probably the one that I'm not going to like. Just on the surface of it all, just a woman keeping a young man as a pet just doesn't doesn't sit too well initially Mm -hmm. but it is weirdly tender and charming and like i think it's aided by the fact that uh, the guy is a dog like he's just a dog like he can't Mm -hmm. do anything himself he's he's like the living embodiment of floppy ears you know (laughs) like (laughs) like, i i wanted to like rustle his hair and I, i think it is an interesting kind of exploration of this woman again like you said like wanting to have it all and the weird kind of subterfuge she has to kind of go through when she brings in this young man as her as her pet. Yeah, it's it's charming. There's a, there's a charm to it, and I want to read more. Hmm. Well, that's I'm glad we had another hit. Turns out Chip just likes Jose manga. That's pretty great. David, you have a, a, a spottier track record with some of our Jose. What you do and don't like in Jose? How did this one land for you? <laughs> this one kind of like Chip. I was. Kind of like, ah, I don't know, early on. And there are like bits and pieces I thought were really sweet early. But I wasn't convinced until the chapter where Momo goes away. To, yeah, for what the last chapter of this volume. Fairly 
harmless thing, but is like mildly devastating yeah. for the main character in a way that I didn't think would happen this quickly. So I think like from yeah. that chapter on, I would like this quite a bit. But the early bits, it yeah. was a little too like sharing the same qualms that Chip does. Like the pet thing just wasn't working for me. Like I got it. <laughs> like the hair thing was kind of cute. Like the risking the head and lap thing was cute. <laughs> but just like the attitude about it and the weirdness of like giving him a dog's name like immediately. Like there's no chance for him to be treated like a human being <laughs> early on. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of held me back a little bit, but they kind of built the character up in an interesting way. I like that she like smokes and watches wrestling. That's kind of cool. And I think that from where it goes from here, I'll be pretty into it. It's kind of cool. Cool, cool. So Deb, had you read this before when it was previously published or even since it's been on uh, Unlimited? I read it. I read volume one before because like you, it was one of those things that people talked about a lot and I had not read it before because, you know, it was available in print, but available in print in a very spotty kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like there was a good chance that you would never get the complete set. So, and I wasn't really invested in trying to, you know, like I wasn't really invested in starting to read a story where I would never read the end. So having it on Comicsology Unlimited is kind of nice because now I'm going to start to read it. Mm-hmm. It It's it's one of those books that people talked about a lot. Like, oh, it's just same eyes. Oh, it's just same eyes. So different. It's so different. And there's things about it where, it's that that casual sexism of being an office worker in the early 2000s in Japan is a little dated to me, mm. but it's still not, you know, like it's a very K drama y, right? It's like, you know, the other girls are jealous of her. She's really smart. She's really tall. The other girls manipulate the men around them, like the, like the co worker who cries in the middle of the office to make mm-hmm. all the other co workers all go against her. Yeah. And so there's kind of like, there's some interesting layers going on there and mm-hmm. the part where, and it's kind of almost comical how they never get it on. <laughs> In that first volume. Yeah. They just, just keep having gentle hugs and sleeping next to each other. Yeah. It's a little wild. Yeah. The art's kind of cute. It, it's kind of, you know, st- it's stylish and stuff like that. It is, it is a grown up shoujo manga and it's fun to read. I felt it more like a, I actually felt it firmly in the Jose camp. Do you disagree? I mean, you have got more. No, no. And that, that's what, to me, that's what a Jose manga is, is a grown up mm. shoujo manga. Like it's, it's not, and I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, the, the relationships are a little bit more complex. Mm-hmm. This is definitely complex, if yeah. nothing else. <laughs> and, you know, the, the female lead character, right? She's not perfect and she's not innocent and she's not, you know, shy or giggly. She's just kind of like, she's sexually confident. She's confident mm-hmm. as a woman. But she's a little messed up because, like, the, the Japan around her doesn't doesn't accept her. You know, she's yeah. tall, she's smart, and people think you know get jealous. And she's she's not at the point where she knows how to maneuver around that. Mm. I was surprised that you thought it felt a little dated to you because even though this was written in two thousand, I honestly mm-hmm. felt like this could have just like. No, I feel like this could be a story that takes place today. I feel like it was just a couple of things in terms of the art style that maybe gave it away as being a little bit older. But I don't mm. think anyone who's reading sort of drama, you know, messy drama, Jose manga right now is going to look at this and go, oh, this is too old or too dated or it doesn't. React. No, no, it's not. It's not like Rose of Versailles dated. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not like I that. also felt the datedness, actually. Really? Like a little bit before my Jose time, even though I've liked works older than this. And I think what it is, is that she finds him in a box. Like that feels like such a shojo, like old school kind of twist that yeah, it sort okay. of like set a tone 
And that might also be what kind of Deb was getting at with it being a grown-up shoujo manga, where there's these little elements that are a little more fanciful, maybe a little harder to believe, but just you sort of get swept up in in this. Yeah, because the boxing never comes up again. It's just like all good from there on out, and it feels so shoujo to me. <laughs> That's wild because I actually read that initial scene where she finds him in the box as super dark. That's actually what made me go, oh, maybe there's something going on in this that's actually going to be more of a hook for me than it being a sort of will they, won't they romance. And it's the fact that, like, you know, I don't love that he is, like, held captive against his will by a gay guy, which is, like, that is, like, a very 2000 take on Mm -hmm. that kind of relationship. But he was also willing to totally have sex with a dude for a place to sleep and then ends up in her house and is like, I don't have, you know, like, we could just whatever, we could just hang out, great. Like, I felt like oh, he's damaged and this is a really weird thing and she's just like, fine, you can be my pet. And he's like, okay. And that's like two weird things that happened in a row that are like both point to both of them not being okay, which I thought was, yeah, I think that there's psychologically a lot of really interesting stuff here. And then her, all of her like icy demeanor and stuff falling apart when she realizes that she can sort of reach for that brass ring by finding the rich guy and sort of sublimating herself and putting on airs and acting and things. I thought that was a really interesting idea as well. So yeah, I thought that there was a lot more going on from the first chapter and from the first opening pages. And I didn't actually like all of it. I did. I found it a little bit like, Oh, that's a little bit like not homophobic, but definitely like this was written at a different time. E, but the way that it intro, like all the characters responded to things and interacted with each other's, didn't feel dated in in that regard. It was more like we need to set up in the first 10 pages. Here's something that's like a little dark and a little funny and a little whatever. But I also was the person who famously thought that Cheese Sweet Home was one of the darkest manga I've ever read. And that's a manga about a cute cat. We'll get to that in a couple of episodes. (laughs) We will. (laughs) Chip, what did you think of the art in this one? I know when we read our first Jose, which was a lot more stylized, it was Helter Skelter that you were like, I don't know quite what's going on with this. And this seems a lot more commercial to me in, in the artwork. What did you think of it? It's not my favorite. I think it serviced the story. Like, uh, really, with a book like this, all you need to do is kind of nail down the look of the two main characters, and everything else is just window dressing. Yeah, it was fine. It, it serviced the story. I, I think that's about it. There was only one time that I looked at the art where I, it really stood out to me. About two-thirds of the way through the book, there's an image of momo dancing but he's not it's when he's on Mm -hmm. the practice bar the bar page 159 yeah and he really they they, the author really captures the like grace and poise of the movement yeah exactly that Mm -hmm. one with just like the gentle like bend Mm -hmm. of the leg and the the physicality of momo which i thought was actually quite good yeah yeah she's got some nice angles in nice Mm. angles in here and she doesn't rely on like the flowers and the sparkles. The image of him on the practice bar, I also, that really stood out to me, but it stood out to me because it was one of the only really good drawings in the book. Like it was, it was clearly kind of thought out, very <laughs> elegant and beautiful, which, which made the rest, you know, it, it kind of just brought the rest into focus as being like, oh, okay, yeah, there's not, every once in a while you'll hit a really good drawing, but for the most part, they're all pretty average, I guess. Mm. I take your meaning on that. I think I feel like the story is always conveyed and I was never lost. But at the same time, I do prefer a messy stylization, I think, a little bit more than really well-drawn stuff. But that, that could just be me. So I actually really liked this first volume quite a bit after I got over the initial darkness of the book. And I was a little bit surprised by it. But 
The thing that maybe is giving me pause is that I just looked and it's 14 volumes long. How does this will they won't they romance where they like she finally admits that she likes him and misses him in the last page of the of the first volume go on for 13 more volumes? Like I almost can't conceive of it and I don't know if that puts me off of it or because it's free to read on if you have unlimited you could just read it and you don't have to worry about it being 14 volumes long thoughts it's supposed to be a good 14 volumes i think and Mm. for it to go away and then come back and be kind of well regarded when it comes back i think there has to be something there in those 14 Mm. volumes that speaks to people possibly yeah yeah it's just so much of the manga that i've liked lately has been a little bit shorter, but I guess when a commercial manga like this, if it went for 14 volumes, that means it probably was really popular at the time. <laughs> so that probably helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Deb, are you excited to, to read 14 more volumes of this or is it going to be, I mean, you, you tend to binge like I binge. Is this something that you're just <laughs> going to like dig into and like blow through in like a month now or how you feeling? I think I'll dig into it. I'm currently reading her recent series, A Night of the Ice, and it's really mm-hmm. interesting to see how her art has evolved. It's a story about ice skating, where there's these male ice skaters and this one guy who's a really good ice skater. But in order for him to get over his nerves, he has to have his childhood friend chant a song from a magical girl TV show. (laughs) That's the most manga thing I've literally ever heard. Maybe it'll be great. I can't wait. All right. And I think that brings us to any final thoughts anyone wants to volunteer on volume one of You Are My Pet or You're My Pet. I just did a Jose manga panel with our friend Jamila at Comic-Con. And I'm actually ashamed that we didn't mention this book. Because I think it's mm. a good example of a Jose manga that people should check out. Just to see the, the variety of the genre. My hot take at that was like, oh, you know, Jose manga is whatever you want it to be. That is a red hot take on Jose manga. I can't wait to hear more about that. <laughs> no, because one of the one of the panelists, her favorite Jose manga was Ghost in the Shell. Oh wow, really? Yep. And I could not I could not convince her otherwise. And I said, Well, if you think it's a Jose manga, it is. It's Jose manga in your heart. Thanks so much, everybody. This has been a fun, unexpected read. That's You're My Pet by Yaoi Aokawa, published by Kodansha. It's available now on Comixology Unlimited. If you're new to Comixology Unlimited, get a 30-day free trial by going to Amazon.com slash Comixology. And welcome back to Manga Explaining. It is the time that everyone loves the most. Actually, I think I did this monologue the last time we picked books. So I just edited that episode. So let me switch up my, my game a little bit. We're going to pick three new books for Chip to read to close out this season of Manga Explaining. We've done really fancy works. We covered a lot of Taiyo Matsumoto, Akiko Higashimura, some real masters of the craft, of the medium. And something that's come up several times is Chip has been like, I hate teenagers. Stop giving me all these books with freaking teenagers in them. So I thought I would give him a book full of adults. <laughs> And this book is called Space Brothers. It is published by Kodansha. Mm. Yeah, right? It's mm. uh, it's written and drawn by Chuya Koyama. And it is possibly the most mundane book about space you'll ever read. In a very oh, yeah. appealing <laughs> sense of the word mundane. Essentially, there are two brothers, the Space Brothers in question. One is an astronaut. He's been to the moon. like He's kind of a success in life. And the other was a car designer who got fired for headbutting his boss. 
and is now <laughs> looking for work. But when they were kids, they made a bet together. Like they were going to go to space. You know, one was going to go to the moon, the other was going to go to Mars because they, you know, something happened in their childhood. And losing his job sort of throws the older brother off his, you know, off his game a little bit. And he's telling you like, look, look, what if I just became an astronaut? I've wanted to my whole life. My little brother's great at it. What if I did that? What if that was my job? And the following, you know, 30 some volumes are all about him becoming an astronaut, his brother being an astronaut, and the testing and trials and travails that that involves. And I call it mundane because it's very normal. There's no superpowers. There's, I mean, like dream sequences, stuff like that. But mostly it's just people going to work and having conversations and, you know, like feeling things about their family and how often they have to work and whatnot. It's very mature in that sense. And I think that it's also really good. It's really, there are several moments that I found heartwarming, let's say, and a few that were like genuinely sad as well. And I want to bring it to the gang to continue my, you know, I couldn't break the podcast this season with all the different things I tried, you know, reading in Japanese, doing that sort of thing. <laughs> so I'll just get the core principles and recommend a book that I think would be good for people who don't read much manga. They might not think to pick up in the first place. So Space Brothers, it's good. Right. Read volume one. Dead. Right. Broadcasting live from San Diego Comic-Con. Do you have a good pick for Chip this week? Well, as usual, I agonized over this because the pressure of this last pick for the season. And I decided maybe that I would follow Chris's lead. When he, like, when he picked, even though we're adults, it was something by a creator he had read something by before, but he had never read it actually before and wanted mm-hmm. an excuse to read it. So I'm going to do that with this one. I'm going to pick... Kowloon Generic Romance. Kowloon Generic Romance is by Jun Mayuzuki. She did a series called After the Rain, which was like an age gap romance that was very sweet about Mm -hmm. a a girl who worked in a a diner. And she kind of gets this crush on her manager, who's much older than her. And it sounds creepy, but the way that it ends up working out, it's very tender and mature. And they kind of learn from each other without crossing the line into, oh, no, they didn't. (laughs) 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 So what I I liked about her work is that her character development is very strong. She lets things unfold in in its own pace. There's Mm -hmm. humor, but it's not over-the-top humor. I think it's a very grown-up story, but it's also very beautifully drawn. So when Mm -hmm. uh, Yen Press picked up Kowloon uh, Generic Romance, I thought, oh, this sounds very interesting. And when I found out it's set in a place that I'm super fascinated about, which is the Kowloon Walled City, Mm -hmm. which is that legendary lawless area near Hong Kong, which was like this unincorporated area that had no laws, no governance, but they just built it wall to wall, every which way. And it was kind of this, this place that was both known as being lawless and very communal and, I guess, friendly, but quirky. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I bought a, I bought a book called uh, City of Darkness, which is a huge, has all these photos and diagrams of what Kowloon Waldsley was like. So when I found out that this book was set in that, I thought, oh, I want to find out more. So That's awesome. It's, it, it is also a romantic comedy about two 30-somethings who aren't quite sure they're in love or not. So we'll see how this goes. So it's a little hard to recommend because I haven't actually read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm hoping that if it's like previous books I've read by her, that it it's something that I think we'll enjoy both on the level of the character development, the story, the gentle romantic comedy 
as well as the, the little history element to it. Nice. Cool. And Christopher, number three, what do you got? I am tired of Chip deciding that we can't read physical books because he lives in the woods. And so I am am staking my claim. My pick is a book that is not in print in English in any way. Again, inspired by our good friend David and his (laughs) increasingly crazy picks this season. I am picking Division Chief Kosakushima Volume 1, bilingual edition, published by Kodansha Japan. As part of picking this, I will be ordering four copies for us from Japan and shipping them to all of the manga splainers. Chip, we're going to figure out a copy, a way to get you a copy of this book because you can't get wait. it on your own. Wait, what is this? What is this? We need to read the adventures of a salary man who doesn't seem to do anything. He goes to different places in the world and he closes business deals and meets ladies in hotels, hotel bars, but then like nothing happens because he's a salary man and has to go back to Japan. It is literally about being an, a, a man who works his way up at the ranks at a Japanese company and then eventually will retire. But he's still working. He's on the chair. He's chair of the board now. But it's basically we've never read anything like this on the podcast ever. And I, this is manga splaining. We're going to introduce this to Chip. It's about a middle-aged man closing business deals and having good food in bubble era economy Japan and fighting the power and doing the right thing because he is kind of a hero. He is. I mean, he's a hero. He, all salarymen wish that they could stand up to their boss like Kosakushima <laughs> does, but they will. They will never. I'm sorry, this is not in English. Uh, well, sorry, here's the best part. It is in English. It's not officially licensed because Kodansha published several volumes of the series bilingually in English and Japanese for salarymen in Japan to be able to read their favorite comic and learn to improve their English. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I've got a couple It's an artifact. Editions. It's a genuine oh. artifact. I, I buy it's it at, whenever Japan, I go to um, the airport because it's on sale at the airport bookstore. In Japan, yeah, all the time. Uh-huh. And Kinokunya has it at all locations all the time, which is good. I just looked it up, and yeah, they've got it in New York, but they've only got like one. So so yeah, it is a <laughs> bilingual Japanese-English comic by, for, and about salarymen like doing their business and being trying to be good and you know, Japan on the global economy, but also it's all written just before the collapse, like a lot of it too. So it's like this optimistic, bizarre, it's, it's great. It's comics that we've literally, there's nothing like it in English, literally at all. This is why I like manga. So Division Chief Kosakushima, volume one, and it's Division Chief, not any of the other ones. I will find copies. I will send them to you (laughs) and no one else will be able to read it. This is a total wasted pick. I apologize to every other publisher of manga that could have had a pick this week going with division chief it's such a foundational piece of work like it really is if we can get chip to read it every time we refer to kosakushima it'll make sense to you now (laughs) 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 no it's it's good that's an amazing pick (laughs) wow oh it's so good and so foundational it is the subject of an eight page sequence and even a monkey can draw manga that's just about that book All right, yeah. all right, all right. Okay, Whew, this is a tough one. I'm putting Davis pick first because a mundane space book with brothers, and it's also heartwarming, is really actually up my alley. That sounds fantastic. Nice. Wait, David, did you pick that just because it has your name in it? I originally started reading it because it had my name in it, yes. <laughs> but then I kept reading it because it was good. <laughs> 
So good. It was like how I keep eating potato chips because they're called chips. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's, that's why I ate them too. No. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Division Chief in last, and not because I want to read it the least, but just to give us enough time to physically get these books. Because mm. I might be able to actually get it in Toronto, because I'll be in Toronto in September. So so Kaloon Generic Romance will be uh, number two, as I think that'll be a nice buffer between boring space and boring salary, man. <laughs> nice. No, it's literally called Generic Romance. These are three of the most I know, yeah, that's the other part. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, Generic Romance. God damn. Okay, all right. Way to close out the season, everyone. With a whimper. Love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's Akira. So yeah, so coming oh, yeah, up true. after today's episode, uh, next week is the four first chapters special. You can check that out online on monksplaining.com. We have links to all of the chapters. You can read them, but it is Food Wars, Kokoku, Sweetness and Lightning, and How Are You? Then after that, we're doing Cheese Sweet Home, Mob Psycho, Our Colors, and then Space Brothers, Kowloon Generic Romance, and finally Division Chief Kosakushima. Rounding up the season is Akira Volume 4. Well, there you go. That'll go out with a bang. Actually, it's more of a whimper, too, because the world kind of ended in Akira oh, Volume yeah. 3. What is even Akira Volume 4 even going to be about? <laughs> Stay tuned. of city building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just that rubble. sounds great. And drugs. Lots of drugs. Yeah. And drugs. Course. All right. That's fine. So we are running at a decent length, but does anyone have any quick shout outs before we hit the road? Yeah, I got a quick, 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 quick shout out. All right. You have 10 seconds. quicker if I didn't say quick so many times. It's stupid, but there's a, I accidentally uh, signed up for Apple Arcade because they offered me three free months and now I'm paying for it because I'm dumb. But I downloaded a game yesterday called Song Pop Party and they just play 10 seconds of random songs and you have to z- multiple choice guess what it is as quickly as you can. And I am absolutely addicted to this. I've, I've, re- I've, I've like rounded up like 150, you know, whatever, meow, meow beans or whatever. But like, I am doing so well at this game and constantly just wrecking people because you play online against other people who can pick stuff first. And even things I'm not good at, I'm like, oh, I know that. Anyway, full on, this game is super addictive and you just, you could pick your genre if you want to, but I just keep going into random mode because now I want to like test, I want to like go, the only one that I lost brutally was the Ram, someone picked a Ramstein one and I don't know even one. (laughs) Ramstein song outside actually I know Du Hast so outside of that but it was just three random metalheads who were like oh yeah songs in German that are angry and I was like lost but otherwise I've been doing very well on it (laughs) song pop party on only on Apple it is shockingly good as a video game and it's the kind of game I always imagined we would get in this the dystopian tech future where our Apple account is linked to our Apple music account is linked to our (laughs) Apple arcade account and it could only happen because of that because of like copyright claims so yeah song pop party it's a lot of fun I will totally wreck you if you play me (laughs) (laughs) Deb how about you I'm just in the middle of this deer in the headlights being back comic-con moment right now I'm as we're Mm. recording this it's Wednesday and it's preview night I've not set foot on the floor but I've getting ptsd already (laughs) (laughs) just being around this environment dub shout out is san diego comic-con check it out (laughs) bring two masks and a lot of antidepressants yeah how about you (laughs) nothing i got Nothing. nothing i consume nothing i just work and i sleep and i read manga 
So I will take care of all the fun reading for you from here on out. Because City, Manga Splaining Favorite, Volume 13 is coming out. And it's the final volume. Mm. And it's about the granny running for mayor on a platform (laughs) to make the city a haven for adults for the next four years. And the entire city being like, oh, she's running unopposed. We all have to run against her. So Uh, going out on a high note, let's say. That's awesome. Exciting. Speaking of going out on a high note, that has been another episode of Manga Splaining. We will see you all next week. This has been Manga Splaining, episode number 73, featuring Witchcraft Works by Ryu Mizunagi. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Witches by Daisuke Igarashi. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting a local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com and check out our newsletter and digital publishing endeavor at mindexplainingextra.com. Thanks to DADS for the musical accompaniment this episode. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.